I've just been watching I Claudius right. actually, the first couple of ah. episodes of that. And every time, oh he yes, because raises... you said on the podcast you'd never seen it. Yeah, yeah. So I I, I bought it at the weekend, and um, oh. I've watched the first couple of episodes, the two hour yeah. episode, I think it uh-huh. was. Yeah. And uh, every time he raises his voice, I think he's going to do the chitty fresh horses from the Blackadder. <laughs> Now he's very measured in that, isn't he? Yeah, it's scary. Yeah. It's almost like it's not the same person. It's, it's it's a bloody good series. Yeah. You've you've got a lot of great stuff to come yet. Mm, I look forward to it. I won't spoil it for you, but uh, yeah. Oh, that's good. I'm glad you got that. Mm. We covered it. It's the second episode on my podcast was I Claudius. Oh, excellent! I'll go back and listen to it. Yeah, I mean there are a couple of there are a couple of old um like older shows which I'm. Currently looking back on, especially since stuff like Game of Thrones is over now. Mm, um, yeah. So I've I've got that, and I've also got Blake Seven as well, mm-hmm. which I'm making my way through. Hello and welcome to Nerdology. My guest today is author and podcaster, Mr. Hayden Gribble. Hello, Hayden. Hello, Mark. The human palindrome, as it were. How are yeah, you? Yeah, yes. I'm very well, thank you. Um, we thought we'd have a little bit of a chat about uh, one of your many passions. Um, not Spurs. No, I'm not talking about that. Oh, what? Uh, Hang on a minute. I've been misled. <laughs> <laughs> Get my agent uh, on the phone. Where is he? <laughs> uh, I, I kind of gave you the option to sort of talk about something you wouldn't normally get to chat about. And uh, one of the first things you came up with was um, Super Mario Nation. Oh, yes, yes. Yes, mm. of course. He, so, of course... He says as though he didn't have that conversation. I don't know why I said it like <laughs> that then. Oh, yes, yes, Super Mario yeah, Nation. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> But listeners of a certain age, you know, old buffers like me... Mm. Uh, kind of grew up with that whole, you know, the whole Thunderbirds and Stingray and all the rest of it. Um, and it still, you know, it still has a, a huge draw for kids even these days. Um, I'm just interested to hear your take on it because you're, without, you know, which should make me feel too much older, you are of a, a slightly different generation from myself. So how did you discover the world Jerry Anderson and, and all that amazing storytelling. Well, first of all, only marginally of a different generation to yourself. I'm not as oh, I'm well, not as young as all of you lots in tend to make too me calm. out. You've to just be, aged better, you? that's all. I do. Yeah. I'm, I'm like a fine wine. No, it's uh, and it's it's interesting what you said about old, old duffers because really, I think Super Mario Nations transcended generations. I think every generation mm-hmm. since Four Feather Falls in the late fifties. Um, has sort of grown up with some elements of Jerry Anderson's television making, either mm. in the either in the background or in the foreground. Um, it it was very much in the foreground in the late nineteen nineties, um, mm. which was obviously around that was around the time that I was growing up. And mm. you had repeats on BBC, and I, I think they went in the order. I think they started off with Stingray, and then obviously yeah. it it obviously got huge i think about 1992 with the with the re-release of thunderbirds and this was the very Mm. first time that these shows had been shown on um on network television because back in the day they had been shown uh i think it was was it atv on in the midlands i think were the um what's the station so a bit like like london weekend television here and everything 
So, um, so of course, they were repeated, of course, throughout the 60s and 70s and all of those. But it was actually the mm. first time that they yeah. were on BBC. Um, and I've got to be honest with you, mate. I mean, apart from a few episodes, I actually genuinely do not remember sitting down that young and watching both those shows. Mm. I don't really remember. I, I remember very vividly the Anthea Turner, Tracy Island make on Blue Peter. Oh, yeah, that was huge at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was it was amazing because um, there were so many of the play sets which had been sold up and been snapped up. It was the biggest selling mm. toy that Christmas, I seem to remember as well. There's it's, always one, isn't there, every year? They're all, yeah and, yeah. and that year it was Tracy Island. I think Tracy Island was there twice. I think it was 2000, I think, as well, when it, it, it was mm-hmm. again released uh, just after the uh, just after the millennium. Um, mm-hmm. Again, Tracy Island was the biggest toy that Christmas. But Tracy Island, they had the genius idea at, at Blue Peter to do that make, and it was a, a lot of my friends had that um, had that make instead of the toy. And mm-hmm. uh, maybe this is the root of my jamminess here, Mark. But um, <laughs> but I actually yeah. So I was wondering when we come to that. <laughs> but I actually received I I my grandparents, and it, to this day is probably my best present I've ever had. Uh, it was about mm-hmm. would have been about three years old, and they bought me Tracy Island, so I had it that, wow. that Christmas, which was just excellent, fantastic. And I had the toys. I think that really was the start of it all. I think it was. That's the root of the jamminess. <laughs> um, listeners to to Diddly Dumb will um will know what what we're on about there. So um, mm. so uh, yeah, listen to our podcast anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. So and then the following year, right about the same time I was going off to school, they started repeating Captain Scarlet and the Mysterons. Mm-hmm. And I remember my father saying, I think you'll like this, Let, let's let's record it. Now, mm-hmm. it's only in recent years that I've realised just how much of a nerd my dad was. Um, <laughs> because there's, there's certain traits... That's not in the pejorative sense, obviously, th- that you're saying that with a lot of affection, but I can tell the way you're saying it. Absolutely, yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, he, because he was into all of this stuff and he loved watching it and he obviously wanted to mm. enjoy them through me again. And I remember yeah. watching that first, actually entitled The Misterons, and it mm. utterly blew me away. I can distinctly remember watching it, sitting sitting in front of the TV, looking up at, at the television, almost in front of it like I was there, and then grabbing my toys afterwards and mm. acting out... Um, sort of the action scenes with, I remember the, the big Captain Scarlet, like the big 12-inch doll I had. I must have had mm. the toys. Maybe the toys came out first then. But anyway, I, I, I definitely remember um, watching that very first episode and being utterly hooked right from the get-go. And I think that's where my, uh, sort of the fanatical side of me started to develop. And that's also where... Mm-hmm the storytelling side of me started to develop as well, because as a child, I used to write... Um, used to write out like little plot lines and stories and what have you um, and include the things that I liked um, mm. <laughs> a great a, a great uh, a great example of this and I'll I'll share the picture with you um, so, so that you can show <laughs> okay. to your listeners is that oh excellent when I was about five years old I did a drawing and a little story uh, and it was called Humpty Dumpty Meets the Power Rangers excellent and I, what a mashup! <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, it's the crossover that this world de- deserves. I think. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, so that's just good God. Anyway, the um my my drawing hasn't improved since then either. But anyway, um Did you see and, mine. And it was it was the it was the start of of me really starting to really like this stuff and you know to really take mm-hmm. ownership as as it being something that I liked and I felt quite proprietal about. You know, I mean I, mm-hmm. I, I had a, I had all the toys i had i was very lucky i had the toys and i had the um you know a captain scarlet lunchbox was the first lunchbox mm-hmm. I, I took to school with me and um i had a captain scarlet rucksack with captain blue and captain scarlet and the and the mr on eyes on it as well and um and i think through that i then went back and then they were still repeating i think or had started another run of repeats for thunderbirds and stingray and then eventually joe 90 mm-hmm. popped up as well um right. And it was just an absolute wonderland, and I would, I would really be quite upset if I, 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 I think we'd been out one evening, and um, and we got back quite late, mm-hmm. and I think I'd missed it. I think I'd missed an episode, and I was absolutely crestfallen. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, well, obviously we'll talk about this later on as well, but. I th- I think there was still an element of it back in those days that if you hadn't have seen it or if you hadn't have recorded it as in taped it mm. um, onto video, then I do genuinely That's think it. that that would have been it because I, I didn't have mm. disposable income, obviously, because I was just a small child. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Your jamminess would only go so far. My jamminess could have, yeah, the, the jam pantry you know, was bare on that <laughs> evening. Um <laughs> So yeah, so so that so that that's really where it all started. And mm. recently, I I say it was last summer. Um, I came across a Blu-ray online, and it was called um, "Made in Super Mario Nation." And, oh right, yeah. and it was a documentary uh, which uh, I think it was called Twenty One uh, TV Twenty One Productions did. I might right. have got that wrong. I'm really sorry if I have. Um, and it was made around about the same time that they. I say remade, but they put the action to the little uh, TV21 records, the 35 and a half RPM ones that came out in the 60s, and basically made episodes to these. Um, And do you know what? For my sins, I still haven't seen them. But anyway, I Mm. watched this this documentary and all the nostalgia washed back to me and the link back to Mm. me watching it with my father and my grandfather um, was... Uh, you know, it, it it just took me back. It took me back, and there was a there was another disc on there called "This Is Super Mario Nation," and it had mm. a restored uh, episode from all of the series. So, you know, the previously named uh, four big hitters, and then Fireball XL Five and Secret Service mm-hmm. and um, Supercar. You know, that so there was there was stuff I hadn't seen on there before, and the joy and the happiness I got from that led me to basically searching and looking for the blu-rays of thunderbirds and captain scarlet um mm. and um i've i sort of watched them on a sort of nightly basis um right and it was they were just they were still so good i mean i i i i know there's a new thunderbird series out there now and i've seen some of the episodes of it and i think it is yeah. great but nothing beats the sheer practicality and the urgency. I think it's incredible they managed to get on screen yeah. for you know the size of budget that they had. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. Well, the, the, they were the most expensive. Jerry Anderson had 
he had a um, sort of a, a, a running trend with his productions that they were always the most expensive TV show ever made up until that point. Because I know that mm-hmm. when Space Precinct came out in the mid 90s which i have to admit again i wasn't i, I wasn't completely grabbed by it because i think i was of the mm. age where i was actually more into the puppets um yeah. so i never really got that one unfortunately and i was i'm, I'm too young to have seen terror hawks as well and I, oh that was amazing and i don't think it's been I, I would have been about the right age for that so um, mm. yeah I've got very fond memories of that one yeah yeah so there, there are patches of sort of jerry anderson's work which i haven't seen still but but I just think I I think they are the they are the start for me on the on the road of my nerdism starts with Jerry <laughs> Anderson and Super Marionation definitely. But it obviously follows through because um, I think I'm right in saying one of the the main effects guys for Jerry Anderson went on to work on quite a number of the Bond films and you are a, a bit of a Bond fanatic as well. Aren't I you? am yes yeah that's Derek Meddings yes he went on to yes, work on that's right uh, I think from Spy Who Loved Me through to might be Goldeneye, Goldeneye, I think. Yeah, yeah I think it's Goldeneye. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm a big, big Bond fan again, and again, that that's through my my grandfather getting me into uh, this stuff. It's like it's like they were, you know, grooming me for my sci-fi <laughs> and sci-fi and, and thrillers, you know. But um, no, I, I used to go with it's the first thing I wanted to do when I used to go to um, to their little bungalow on the seaside is I wanted mm. to raid their video cupboard and go through and see you know, what James Bond films they have. And mm-hmm. I think, to, I think the first James Bond film I ever saw was Thunderball. Um, right. And I know for a fact that it was the first one that my father saw at the cinema. So mm-hmm. he would have been about six, I reckon at that point. That's very young for a James Bond film, actually. Yeah. Thinking about well, it. Especially I went that to one. see my first one was Moonraker. Oh, uh, wow. And that, oh God, I can't remember what year that came out now. Was it 17, 79. 79, yeah. so I would have been six at that time, so yeah. Wow. Crikey. But then by that point, it had gone a bit more tongue-in-cheek and uh, it was a bit more light-hearted yeah, perhaps than yeah, and back I, in the Connery days. I, I, I think Roger Moore is actually the perfect jumping-on point for anyone who's young who's wanting to get into, yeah. into Bond because there is a danger with Connery which I've, I I always felt a little like I wasn't very safe with him mm-hmm. watching him as a kid. But with, with Roger Moore, I knew that I was safe in yeah. in the hands of this specific, uh, you know, incarnation of 007. And then when you get mm-hmm. older, you know, I, I must have... I think it was mainly Sean and Roger at that point because I know the Pierce Brosnan films had just started coming out, but they, yeah. were, but they weren't released on TV yet. And they, mm-hmm. you know, obviously... I, couldn't buy the videos when they came out so um it wasn't until probably about 97 around about the time the golden eye came out on the n64 which uh, i started yeah, to game. oh isn't it's amazing isn't it i still play it we're, we're veering off on all sorts of tangents here but that's <laughs> kind of what i like to do to be fair so. this is me as well i'm a bit scatterbrained when it comes to my yeah time. well yeah i think we're two peas from interest. the same pod there to be honest <laughs> the thing with jerry anderson i always got the impression i've, I've seen a few interviews with him um, I think he was very proud of the work that he'd done, but I always felt there was this kind of feeling that he he always wanted to be the serious filmmaker and the whole kind of puppet side of things was not really what he wanted to do. And I, obviously by the time you get up to things like Space 1999 and mm. UFO, he's starting to get into 
the live action, which I think is really more what he wanted to do. But I think the most fondly remembered ones are certainly those Super Mario Nation productions. Absolutely. I think, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he was quite embarrassed for a number of years that he was working with puppets. But mm. I, but towards his later years, he, he I've seen an interview somewhere where he does say, yes, I've... I've I've come to feel quite proud of of what we've done now. Um, I it's quite funny actually because I I do feel like with his work it's almost like if if you were a very very young child you know let's say two three years old in the mm-hmm. late fifties when something like the Adventures of Twizzle or Torchy the Battery Boy comes out. <laughs> then they're very much sort of in the Andy Pandy kind of um, yeah. Uh, sort of in, in that sort of category, and then you get then super. Oh, sorry, Four Feather Falls is obviously the next, and that's that's a mm-hmm. western. So as you're as you're kind of growing up, you're sort of growing up with the TV series, as it were. As yeah. as the special effects get more um, spectacular and more realistic, so do the puppets to a point where yeah, that's the thing. And you look at the sort of sorry to interrupt you, but no, yeah, you fine. look at the really early ones like Fireball XL Five and some of those. And then you gradually work your way through because it's a, a relatively small space of time before you get to something like Captain Scarlet, which mm. you look at the the level of detail and the you know, the realism in those marionettes compared to what had gone before. And it's quite impressive how they kept pushing those boundaries to make it as realistic and as uh, glossy and mm. as you know high budget looking as they could. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And of course, as you get further on as well, you start seeing you know, human hands coming in with the likes of yeah. Thunderbirds, Captain Scarlet and Joe 90. And then by the time that um, Secret Service comes along, which is a very odd series. Have you ever seen the Secret Service? I'm aware of it, but I've never seen it. It does sound very strange. It, I I kind of want to know what Jerry Anderson was smoking. <laughs> <laughs> Back then, let's get Stanley Unwin and his Unwinese, and he could be yeah. he could be a secret agent posing as a vicar under it's oh mm. it's it's very odd. But with that series, there's more and more uh, sort of authentic people in there. You know, mm-hmm. there, there, there's more sort of um, actual actors acting out yeah quite a lot of of the scenes. So it, that goes against the grain quite a lot as well because I, I got mm. the impression I, again I'd heard another interview where. It had become obvious, particularly through his relationship with Lou Grade, who'd really put the money in to to get these programs made, that they were very much gearing towards the American market, Mm. particularly with things like Thunderbirds and Captain Scarlet. And that, it seems like such an anachronistic choice. Yeah, it's quite shrewd, isn't it, as well? Because obviously America's where the big bucks was at the time, as some some people probably think it is still. Yeah. so yeah, so giving them transatlantic accents was actually a stroke of genius, mm-hmm. and I mean that that goes all the way back to Four Feather Falls, which is I mean if if anyone could find it on YouTube or um or a DVD on uh, Amazon or mm-hmm. eBay, I'd give it a go if you like Jerry's stuff because it's very quite it, it's quite it's quite ple- it's a pleasant watch. They're about fifteen minutes mm-hmm. long. Um, you got Nicholas Parsons and Kenneth yes. and Kenneth Connor from the Carry On movies. Uh, yeah, and of course, D- David Graham does his first um, mm-hmm. that's his first association with the Jerry Anderson world there as well. Um, it's it's very it's almost tranquil when you watch it. it, it, it there's obviously a couple of bits now which are very um, 
you know, uh, go against the, the uh, you know, our sort of PC, uh, mm-hmm. you know, society at, at the moment, especially with the Indians. Um, mm-hmm. But if you can look past that, it's a, it, it, yeah. it's quite a nice, quite a nice series. And it hasn't, it hasn't really got the, um, you know, the dynamism or the action mm-hmm. yet of stuff that was soon to come, like Sting, uh, Stingray Fire, Black Cell 5. But, um, but no, as I was saying, I mean, obviously, within about sort of maybe is it 12 or 13 years, I think, you've gone from something mm-hmm. like Twizzle all the way through to UFO in six, yeah. 69, 70, which mm-hmm. is very much... I, I always viewed it as being... Um, okay, well, this is the adult show now. This show's now for adults because it, it, it's got humans in it you know the the puppets mm. are gone and i could tell that obviously ed ed straker is um ed bishop isn't it? the voice of captain blue so that that was yeah that was something to um to attach myself uh you know myself to and then by space mm-hmm. 1999 comes along um and all this stuff was repeated throughout the 90s and the early 2000s mm-hmm. and they they did them chronologically so i did feel like i was growing up with them um yeah but then obviously then stuff like um terror hawks and space precinct um, mm-hmm. I don't think were repeated. I remember the toys of Space Precinct, but right. but I can't remember it being on apart from when it was, you know, um, originally on the BBC. But um, but yeah, but but what, what watching these Blu-rays again was just uh, just absolutely gorgeous, and they look absolutely stunning. It's a really good transfer, is it? Unbelievable. I mean, it, it's it's the best. The Captain Scarlet's. Um, the Captain Scarlet Blu-rays are the best transfers I've ever seen to Blu-ray. Wow. They are absolutely phenomenal. There's a thing... There's, there's, I'll bring this up, and if he's listening, um, he'll agree with me here, but Mark John, who's uh, one of my mm-hmm. fellow... Uh, one yes, of my, from the Diddy Dumb podcast. Yeah, one of my friends. He, he's He's got a real thing about uh, at the wrong aspect ratios <laughs> mm, <laughs> on yeah. Blu-rays and DVDs. And the ITV released version of the Thunderbirds Blu-ray box set looks really mm. good, but it they've they've sort of they've zoomed it in to get the aspect oh. ratio to a widescreen oh, one, whilst the American version is mm-hmm. a much cleaner, much better transfer. Um, in oh, the in interesting. in the correct four by three aspect ratio, yeah. So um, I I know there's a couple of um, of uh, people out there who are trying to get it. Uh, released over here for the UK mm. market, considering this is where it was it was made. They're, yeah, you know they're all made in Slough, Mark. Slough. <laughs> yeah, next to the Mars factory, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's just it's. You're talking about not being particularly PC when you're sort of going back to the the very early days. Um, that reminded me of something that uh, Jerry Anderson said in an interview. I was re- watching. Um, uh, I think it must have been a, a Channel Five documentary which was on youtube um and he's chatting away there and he's talking about um how they'd moved things on with stingray and uh they you know talking about the, the cast of characters and he gets to marina and he says well obviously she's the perfect woman because uh she's incredibly beautiful and uh she doesn't speak oh dear <laughs> you couldn't wish for anything more, could you? I'm like, oh, oh dear. I think that speaks more volumes of his relationship with Sylvia <laughs> Anderson than it does maybe. Well, you know. yeah. Well, obviously they they separated after a while, didn't they? Mm. So, um, yeah. Oh dear. Oh yeah. lordy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, he really is. I mean, I I think we have, especially in this country, 
quite mm. a lot to thank him for. Um, in the way of yeah. where where the children children's programming has gone, and also the the kind of mm. people who he's inspired as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's another thing that came up in this documentary, which uh, made me feel a bit sad. Really, he said, you know, you think of people like George Lucas, and they get all this recognition, and mm. you know, people stopping them in the street, and you know, for all the work that he did, he, you know, he's, he was talking about a time where, you know, he'd recently separated from Sylvia, and he was feeling very low, and he'd just go to his local pub, and hope that someone would talk to him, and he'd just sit there on his own, and no one would say a word. Yeah. Terrible, but yeah, what a legacy, you know, of, of stuff that he's left behind. Obviously, he then went on to marry again, and it sounded like he was a very happy man, mm-hmm. and uh, he got back into making uh, the TV programs that he he really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. With- so it was a, a happy ending, but um, but yeah, it sounded like a quite an interesting life he had. Yeah, absolutely, and of course now Jamie, his son, is uh, is mm-hmm. continuing, you know. The passing of, of the torch, he's continuing on his good work with Firestorm, um, which yeah. looks really good. Is I, I don't know, is Jamie involved in the um, the new Thunderbirds as well, the the CG one? No, sadly yeah, not. I and I, and I and I think oh. I think this is one of the reasons why maybe Jerry Anderson isn't um, looked upon like our sort of you know the, the mega rich like George Lucas, and that's because mm-hmm. Lou Grade bought his. Uh, his rights for Thunderbirds. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I suppose that that's the reason now why we've got an ITV Thunderbirds that isn't mm. affiliate. Obviously, it must have got the blessing from the Anderson estate, but yeah, it, it's not made. They don't have any um, any input with that, sadly. But um, mm. but but the legacy, but the legacy continues, and and I I genuinely think that generations to come will still be enthralled by. Mm. By, uh, by all of his work, of course. But the main, you know, the main three for me—that the holy trinity of Jerry Anderson work—is definitely for me: Stingray, Thunderbirds, and Captain Scarlet. With Captain Scarlet, mm. the, the cherry on the tree. I've, I've always preferred it over Thunderbirds. And funnily enough, when on this rewatch, <laughs> I've mm. noticed that obviously the Thunderbird episodes are double the length. And yeah. there's a lot more depth there, and there's there's actual characterization. Whilst in Captain Scarlet, there isn't really enough time for much character mm. development. I mean, you you get a bit in places, and I think Colonel White is actually very rea- very well realized by Donald Gray. But and Francis Matthews just his his Captain Scarlet take. He he said in interviews in the past that. Um, you know, oh, it was just more sort of, oh, there's there's Captain Black. I'm going after Captain Black. Oh, I'm <laughs> SIG, Spectrum is green and all this, you know, and there, there wasn't actually much of a of a development there, which was a shame. Mm. And, um, and there, there is something as well with, uh, Thunderbirds is the only Jerry Anderson series I can think of off the top of my head that went to a second series, apart from maybe Terrible. Yeah, I think because he pushed Lou Gray because he really wanted to do a movie Mm. And he agreed to fund it, and then it didn't perform particularly well at the box office, did it? No. Which I think put the uh, the brakes on another series of Thunderbirds, mm. which is a bit of a shame, really. But yeah, because they they tried to make another one. They made Thunderbirds six whilst they were working on Scarlet, and mm. that tanked as well. And it was just, I th- I think really it was just an era where I think people just thought, well, these are TV shows; these aren't movies so yeah why am i gonna watch 
I, I suppose, I mean, going back to James Bond, I mean, nobody really made Bond for TV. And if they did, it was in the shape of stuff mm. like like The Man from Uncle. Yeah. You know, there was like all, all the... Um, uh, or the Avengers, you know, or, or, or yeah. stuff, stuff which is a in that same vein, but is not, mm-hmm. but isn't the same, you know. It, it's there are no, the Avengers is a totally different kettle of fish. I love it; mm. it's such a great series. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, quite a very quite a different thing. Uh, again, I suppose that was just another way of him trying to push boundaries, uh, but maybe it was just a little bit too ahead of his time mm. at that so. point. I think so. Mm. Yeah. Sadly, but you know Jerry Anderson. That's you know what a guy. And I'll be passing all of my toys and and all my Blu-rays and whatever onto my you know my kids when they come along as well. And just you know I've shown got it all planned out. Got it all planned out. Yeah, it's a five, <laughs> five five year plan before they go to school. Indoctrinate them on you know the softer stuff like Stingray first, and then you know screw whatever's on there at the minute pepper pig now <laughs> bollocks to that no you're going to watch you're going to watch the fire flash with a bomb in its landing gear and it's got to land on on these three carts and it's you know high pressure and my son's 5 now and um he's seen um a couple of the older style thunderbirds mm. uh, he loves the music that's another massive thing about oh yeah those jerry anderson shows with the music um, but I think he was more impressed by the new series, which is, you know, you're probably going to hate him forever now. But um, well, he'll, he'll yeah, I think he'll learn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, that no, that's absolutely goes through phases of. It's absolutely fine to like a newer version of something because it's made mm. for you. You know, you can hold yeah. that closer to your heart. It's like like we're saying, you know. This is the reason why stuff like James Bond and Doctor Who go on for so long. It's because mm-hmm. there are different versions of the character that grab you and pull you in, and they are yours. You know, I mean, I, I'm not mm. of the Roger Moore generation at all, but because I watched mainly him and rewatched a lot of his as a kid, um, yeah. I very much feel that he's my Bond. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm not going to say he's the best. I think, you know, really. I think Connery's probably the best, but you know, the, the, it, but he, he's not my favourite. You know, he's not the one that mm. I, you know, grew up watching and seeing. And that was God. That was a magical moment. I, I, I took my fiance, then my girlfriend, um, and we went to go see Sir Roger Moore on stage. Oh yeah, talk about his life and all the rest of mm-hmm. it. And when he came on, obviously the compare came on and said, "Oh." This, you know, did a little bit of an introduction and said, oh, and without further ado, here he is, Sir Roger Moore. And the oh, place goes dark and you hear the da-da-do, da-da-do. And he walks on stage left, side mm-hmm. on. And of course, the little round, you know, the, the, the lights following yeah. him. And I, oh, and it, I know it was obviously, is it 88, I think, at the time? Mm-hmm. But, uh, but from where I, from where I was sitting, it was the Roger Moore in his flares from the gun barrel sequence from the spy who loved me. You know, it's just, it was wonderful. Brilliant. Yeah. A friend of mine went to see uh, one of those live shows and uh, it was really blown away by how good he was. And uh, just the, you know, entertainment factor of going there and hearing him come out with all these amazing stories. And yeah, yeah it sounds like uh, you're yet again, somewhat jammy in uh, getting tickets <laughs> for that particular event. Would you like to just, you know, for anyone who doesn't 
know about your general jamminess. Can we can we cover that? Because I feel yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it needs Go talking it. about really. Uh, not that I'm bitter in any way whatsoever. <laughs> but uh, so Hayden, you are a collector. It's fair to say. Yes. Yes, I am. Yeah. As are many people who are into the same kind of stuff that we are. Mm. Um, have you been relatively lucky in some of your finds that you've managed to pick up over the years? Well, you want to just reel off a few. Um, so I've managed to complete the uh, set of Doctor Who annuals, going back to the very first mm-hmm. annual in 1965. Um, I also share with my mum a complete collection of Blue Peter annuals as well. Um, wow. Which really gets uh, the girls going. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I've collected uh, books, I've collected DVDs, I've collected toys, uh, I've collected signatures as well. I, I, I own a complete set of uh, autographs from all of the Doctors, uh, Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I tend to sort of just peruse some antique shops and charity shops and then come across some incredible You had a find finds. recently, didn't you? In a charity shop. Where you picked up a Blu-ray? Oh, yes. Yes. I picked up the Series 11 Doctor Who Blu-ray for a fiver in, wow. <laughs> in my local charity shop. Still in its cellophane wrapper, so that person really must have hated uh, Series <laughs> 11. But... Poor but thing. I'll snap that up. But I actually found it's, yeah. it. It's funny because you talk about jamminess. When I uh, went to that Roger Moore gig, he signed, he pre-signed a whole load of books. Um, obviously, he wasn't going to sit behind a table himself. And, no, uh, you know, his, I think he'd done it in the past. But I think at this point, you know, he probably uh, felt that he was maybe a bit too old, and you know, mm-hmm. it'd probably knacker him out if he's sitting there for three hours signing people's personal effects. So. Um, so they had pre-signed stickers that they were sticking into books and then selling for about 20 quid. About a week mm-hmm. or two later, I went into a charity shop in Cambridge and I found his um, Bond on Bond book. Yeah. And it had a signature in it, like your, uh, for your, uh, was it for your eyes only, Sir Roger Moore? Yeah. And I was mm. just, uh, 50p. <laughs> wow. So obviously I picked it up and. You make going to the toilet jammy as well, don't you? If I remember rightly. Wow! Didn't you meet? Didn't you bump into? Well, you know, I just want to try and get over the the sheer levels of jamminess. So I've bumped into two famous people uh, in the gents. Now, where's the to think? Where's this conversation? Just sort of hang around the gents in the hope that someone famous will pop in. Definitely not. Definitely not. No, I was I was writing a book which sadly never saw the light of day on Dad's Army. Uh, oh, in right. 2012, 2013. And I'd actually gone to the British Film Institute uh, on the South Bank. And I'd gone mm-hmm. for a meeting there with an archivist uh, because they were going to let me listen to a copy of A Stripe for Fraser, which is one of the missing Dad's Army oh, episodes. Yeah. And th- th- mm. this was before the BBC store animated it a few years back. Mm-hmm. And I went into the, into the gents and I'm the only one in there. And then... Door swings open. I look up, and uh, bloke has just walked in. Is none other than Chris Morris of mm. Brass Eye and the Day to Day Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, came and stood in the urinal next to me as well, and I kind of thought, okay, this is a bit weird. And uh, yeah, it's not very easy to strike up a conversation, is it? You can't, you know, and it's not mid flow. I can't really, uh, yeah, I can't really, you know, <laughs> I can't really say, oh, can I take this opportunity to shake your hand either? So. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so I had a chance encounter there. And then also at London Film Comic Con a year or two previously. Yeah, this is the one I was thinking of. Yeah, when I went into the toilets and Brent Spiner, data from Star Trek, no less, uh, mm-hmm. walks in and even says to me, oh, hi, how are you? As I said, I was like, uh, hi. <laughs> so anyway, I finish up and wash my hands and as I walk out, Bump straight. I'm into, glad to hear that. Bu- <laughs> Very sorry. <laughs> Bump straight into Karen Gillan, who's walking yes. by, and managed to and just said, "Oh, oh, uh, sorry. Oh, a- actually, uh, while you're here, can you sign this, please?" And got her to sign a picture of Amy Pond that I had on me. Um, didn't have to just pay happened either. to have on you. Yeah, which just happened mm. to have on me. Mm. So. Yeah, so I've I, I get very fortuitous, but I think the thing is, yeah. Mark, and I think the reason why the diddly dumbos tend to play on this quite a bit is that <laughs> I have very few inhibitions when it comes to talking to people. Right. I've got to be honest. I you know okay yes that person might be Data the Android or the guy who you know created Brass Eye and the day to day Karen Gillan obviously now is a huge Hollywood star and the highest grossing film of all time. But mm-hmm. they're just they are just people, you know, and this is this is a technique that I've always there there's there's Do you try to te- imagine them in their underpants? No. <laughs> no, no, no. Or is that just Karen Gillan? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And um Yes. God I hope Sophie doesn't hear this. And um <laughs> they uh, no no so when when I first started helping out at Doctor Who conventions with, with the Dwass, um it, it's just it just just talk to them about something else other than Doctor Who. Don't go up to them and say, mm. you know, oh, I thought you were brilliant in the, the massacre. Um, I really hope that one comes up one of these days because I really like hearing that. I haven't seen it, but I like hearing it. You know, it, it, it to go up Whereas to Whereas if you talk about Tottenham left-backs, then... Well, exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, Peter yeah. Purvis being the case in point here is... Mm. It was actually it was good old Paul Winter. He looked over at me and uh, I was just sitting there in the uh, the green room and like you do when you're helping out all these things and um <laughs> and he said oh hayden you you're normal go over there and keep keep <laughs> keep peter company for a bit and uh, and Obviously i hadn't heard you on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> and i said and i i knew that he's a he's a tottenham fan like myself because in one of the blue peter books um he's he make he's one of his mates in there is a rattle and he writes in it's probably not him, but you know whoever ghost wrote or whatever back then. Yeah. Right. So when I'm at, when I'm at Tottenham every week, I like to make a right old noise or something like that. So he's got him with the yeah. rattle. So I said to him, "Oh, I know about the you know I don't know about your association with Spurs, but the trouble is, Mark and uh, sorry, Mark and Doc um, tried to employ the same thing with him." When they uh, interviewed him at the Capitol a few weeks back. I, I wasn't there, yeah. unfortunately, because I'm currently saving up for my wedding. Um, and Mark's a West Ham fan. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, unbeknownst to Mark, West Ham had beaten Spurs earlier <laughs> on that day. So they mentioned it, and Peter just apparently just... Well, I, I, I'm yet to hear the full extent of what Peter... Peter was basically, <laughs> no, no, let, let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so understandable so my, my reverse jamminess on that on that um 
Oh, yeah, you obviously weren't around to uh, to guide them in the. I wasn't know what to say in no. your jammy ways. No, just talk about Jimmy Greaves instead. He loves Jimmy Greaves. <laughs> um, but no, but well, yeah, they'd have something in common because he played for West Ham as well, didn't he? Well, indeed, exactly. Yes, he mm, did. Well, yeah, go. and Martin Peters perhaps, and mm-hmm. bloody hell, there's been quite a few Spurs players over the years who have played for West Ham as well. Michael Carrick, Bobby Zamora, Matt Etherington. Ooh. Ted, All those Teddy greats. Sheringham. <laughs> well, then I, then I went and busted that joke by saying Teddy Sheringham. But, <laughs> yeah. no, but but my technique when it comes to meeting famous people is just don't treat them like a famous person. You know, don't don't start yeah. you know fawning at their feet. Just they are a normal person. Um, it must be incredibly hard if it's someone you've really admired for years and years. But I guess yeah, you're right. It's just. Well, I, I I think if if I'd been jammy enough to actually have a face to face conversation with Roger Moore, I would have just verbal diarrhea everywhere probably <laughs> yeah it has to be said but there is only one there's only one actor who i've ever felt speechless in front of and it's a very mm. i mean when i look back now and i think of the one you know i've, I've been lucky enough to meet most of the doctors and hold a conversation mm. spoke about liverpool football club with tom baker actually as well which is oh yeah yeah which was uh something Quite incredible, but anyway, yeah, they... he does make a joke about Evertonians in his uh, autobiography. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Yeah. Yes, this, yeah. I, we won't repeat it here. No, let's not. In, go in present company. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, the one person who I was speechless in front of was Norman Lovett. Yeah. It was Holly from Red Dwarf. Holly from Red Dwarf. Yeah. yeah, and I think the reason being, I mean, my my mum, I went uh, with my mum, and we saw. Um, both Hattie Harridge and uh, Norman Lovett come and do a, mm. a stand-up gig in my local town. And they were oh, signing yeah. things afterwards. And my mum was, you know, having a great conversation with both of them. But but to me, they were the floating heads on the big TV screen mm. when I was a kid. Because Red, Red Dwarf, I watched from an early age. Yeah. You know, I, I the first episode I ever saw was Back to Reality. Which would have been about your first word was Smeg. My first word was Smeg. Yes. Yeah. 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 And uh, my next one was Vindaloo. <laughs> and uh, I used to moonwalk around a place going "yow" as well. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I think that's the reason why I was a bit dumbstruck in front of Norman mm. Lovett was because yeah. I'd seen his big floating head on the screen, and you know, back all the way back there. Sorry, all the way back when, and it was. Uh, you know, great, but Red Red Dwarf was um, was another big. I it's it's funny because I in the recent years I think science fiction comedy has become mm. a bit more, um, a bit more mainstream. A bit more mainstream, I have to say, yeah, but or acceptable, or but, yeah. but back in the day, I say back in the you know like twenty years ago, there mm. really was only Hitchhikers and Red Dwarf out there. I yeah. felt. You know, I remember loving Red Dwarf when it came out because I was towards the end of being at secondary school when that mm. came along, and uh, everyone at school was talking about it and really enjoying it. Um, I did find probably after about the third series they started to kind of repeat stuff a bit, and I kind of gradually tailed off my interest on it. But um, yeah, it's a great show. Oh, well, the general consensus of a Red Dwarf fan is that the first six series are brilliant. Oh right, and then it it completely falls apart with series seven, and I kind of know what you mean. I I used to have um, they used to be my go to shows if I was off school ill, 
Um, mm-hmm. Because I guess the, because they were all on. Uh, we used to tape a lot of stuff, as I've already alluded to, on off the TV. Um, yeah, and there were six six episodes in a series, so they all fit mm-hmm. onto one like Maxwell one eighty video. So I used to just bung it in. You might have to explain to our younger listeners what a video is. <laughs> uh, let's just say it's a step up. Actually, no, it wasn't a step up from um, from um, Beta Max, but it's uh, it's a step no, it's a it step wasn't. down from DVD and it's a step down from yeah. Beta Max and a step down from Laserdisc. But you know, but yeah, the most inferior home video service on the market, and it's the one that mm. made it big. But anyway, um, yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, so so I'd stick that in for three hours, and I could just sort of zone out and watch it, you know. And it was, mm-hmm. and I used to watch certain series for certain moods. But I, I think, I think there's good stuff in all of them. Um, but it really it it lost its way when Rob Grant, uh, sort of departed from the writing team of him and you know Doug yeah. Naylor tried to steady the ship, and I think there was quite a big there was quite a big wait between series six and seven, in which time. Mm-hmm. A lot of things had changed. I think you know Chris Barry wanted to leave, and um, uh, I think Craig Charles had had a, quite a high-profile court case as well in that time too. Mm, yeah. So, um, so and so there, there was a lot of stuff going on with it, and I think it was quite a jaded series that series seven. However, it's got mm-hmm. potentially one of the best, in my opinion, one of the best episodes throughout the whole run. And I'm I'm counting the Dave, you know, the latest Dave series as well, and that's Tick Tick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mispronounced it. Tika to ride, which is when they go back to Dallas right. in 1963, and uh, inadver- right. inadvertently stop JFK from being assassinated and change the future. Mm. Um, and for for its scope, it's probably the only time that that new format and that new way of writing sort of like a comedy drama, which is what mm. quite a lot of patches of series seven is, is. I think it's the only time it works in that series. Um, yeah. And it's the last time you really see that classic uh, lineup of Lister, Rimmer, Cat, and Crichton together before mm. it obviously breaks apart. Kachansky comes back, and um, but it's I mean the, the latest um, Dave series have been brilliant, I think as well. Um, mm. They perhaps haven't been as memorable as stuff like Backwards and Polymorph and Back to Reality and. Uh, yeah, you know, Crichton and Queeg and what have you, but I think that's probably because they're tucked away on Freeview, you know, on on a channel on Freeview like Dave. And mm-hmm. unless you're a real diehard fan, I don't think you're really going to be getting this stuff. And and that there's so much more stuff now. I mean, I was going to allude to the fact that, um, you know, obviously we have stuff like Rick and Morty now, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. I see that's coming back again later this year, is it? I think. Yeah, it was. Do you know? I I only I only discovered it a couple of years ago, around about the time that mm. the missus and I moved in together. Um, and I binged on. I I think it was the first two series had come out at that point. I think the third was just about to be released. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought it was it was so witty, and it was so imaginative, and it very was, inventive. Yeah, and incredibly mm. inventive, um, and really hits all the right notes with that sense of sort of uh, geek culture and nostalgia, mm-hmm. which is so, you know, beautifully linked and entwined. Um, you know, I absolutely, yeah, I absolutely, I, I adore Rick and Morty. I really do. Um, I haven't, I haven't seen the Orville yet, uh, which is obviously no, Seth MacFarlane's take on Star Trek. Mm. Um, 
Yeah. But obviously, I am aware of it. Um, you have stuff like, um, uh, oh god, I can't remember the, the program now. But there, there was a comedy series with Kevin Eldon and Nick Frost. Oh, and Miranda yeah. Hart about ten years yes. ago as well. Oh, oh goodness, I can't remember what it's called now. But it was yeah, not very good. No, no, it's a shame because you think of those three, and they I certainly watch anything with them in. Uh, well, but, yeah, I'm definitely a sucker for lists, and every now and then, I if God, this that's so sad, but um, <laughs> but, but I it's so our character for a Doctor Who fan, <laughs> exactly. I every now and then I I I revisit it, and I I could safely say I think those three science fiction shows are in my top ten. Favorite. Really? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Hitchhikers was. Again, huge because it it felt like mm. if Super Marionation had started it all off for me, Doctor Who was the anchor. That that was the thing that was like, right, no, this is definitely my genre. This is a genre mm-hmm. you can do anything with. You can do time travel. You can do paradox. You can do uh, you know visiting different worlds. You know it was mm. fan. Oh, I just said Doctor Who. Doctor Who. <laughs> Doctor <laughs> Who was seismic i would say for this yeah. seven-year-old i mean i i wouldn't be sitting here now talking to you if i'd never have discovered doctor who definitely not mm. Mm. definitely not because i i think i think that then grounded my previous love for super marionation and everything and then through doctor who i discovered things like star trek and star wars um and also yeah. hitchhikers mm. and um i remember that there was a library in my town it's actually well it's the town i now live in um mm-hmm. it was it was just our local town back in the day and we used to occasionally go to the library and i used to lap up any doctor who videos they had or any doctor who books and i just remember coming across once this hitchhikers video and i'd noticed it or i recognized it from the inlay of some of those doctor who videos that i had yeah um yeah. so i watched it and i thought god well there's certain similarities here and obviously mm. it was Paddy Kingsland doing, doing the music. Yeah. Paddy mm. Kingsland doing the music, obviously Douglas Adams, the great Douglas Adams um, writing yeah. as well. Um, and of course, Peter Davison as the dish of the day too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah. again, I loved that. And I loved the fact that I could then uh, take out, you know, I, I then discovered it was an audio series originally. So I could listen to yeah. them. I could listen. so many incarnations of that. Yeah. I could listen to them in my sleep. It was a book. It was a comic strip. It was a tea towel. It was everything, you know, it was just <laughs> wonderful. Um, One of the very few times I've had to admit that my wife was right about something. Uh, happy birthday to you, by the way. She's tucked away. Yeah, happy birthday, Mrs. Happy Cochran. reading a book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, she is a huge fan of Douglas Adams's books. Oh, wow. um, and I always was, was of the opinion that the, the radio show was the, sort of the ultimate version of it. But I think she really had a good point when she talked about how his use of words really it's, you know, it still comes across in the audio. But Mm. his descriptive writing just gives it a whole new dimension when you're actually reading the books. And I think Mm. she is right in that. I think they do really take off 
in in literary form. There's one line that I'm always reminded of when people talk about Douglas Adams's writing, and that is the line that he uses to describe the Vogon constructor fleets. Is that mm, they they, yeah. they hung like that they hung in the sky exactly the way that bricks don't. Yeah, and it's just such yeah, a, that's a great example. It, yeah. It's such a brilliantly funny line because it it's so unexpected. And I heard it obviously the mm. first time when Peter Jones as the book is utters it but i remember it really stuck out as well um um you know when i when i read the books for the first time mm. um i didn't read uh the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and the restaurant at the end of the universe first because i'd heard them as the plays and i had this thing right. this they'll talk about 10 years ago now and when i was at college mm-hmm. and uh, i i i had so I, I had all five books, but I wanted to read those other three because I thought, ah, oh, well, I've, I've, you know, I've seen the other two and I've heard mm-hmm. the other two, so there's no reason to go into that. But I absolutely adored "So Long and Thanks for All the Fish." Yeah. Um, and I really would like, you know, with the, the, the with the Rain Man, who's it talks about the, the rains following him everywhere, and it's mm-hmm. just, and um, you know, Arthur Dent is uh, is is trapped on Earth, but that that man is paying a visit and paying an insult to every person in the universe ever and it's just that was just i absolutely loved that and i devoured it on a trip up north to york um mm. on on the train journey i just i read the whole thing on that wow. on that train journey and i just absolutely loved it. i'll have to revisit it at some point um yeah. But um, yes, he was so ahead of his time, wasn't he, Douglas Adams? Just you know, not just in his he was, yeah, he his was. writing, but also you know, um, he was. I think I'm right in saying he. There's debate between, or was debate between him and Stephen Fry over who had the first Apple Mac in the UK. It was. It was. They're both into their technology, and it was Douglas Adams. I I swear a bit. Mm, I I was lucky mm. enough. I I've um I. Sort of, uh, I know um, Kevin Davis who uh, directed the mm-hmm. more than thirty years in the TARDIS, uh, the yeah. few Doctor Who fans, and he he works as an animator on Hitchhikers. It's one of his right. first TV jobs, and he was in Cambridge last year, and said, "Oh, well, there's a Douglas Adams ex- exhibit going on at King's College. Um, do you want mm-hmm. to come along?" I was like, "Oh yeah, brilliant!" Because I hadn't seen, uh, you know, hadn't spoken to Kevin in a while, and uh, and I went along, and there were quite a lot of his artifacts there. They had stuff like mm-hmm. his student cards and his letters. There's a letter from uh, Graham Chapman to Douglas Adams because he'd turned down the chance to write with him on something, to write mm. Hitchhikers, I believe. Um, right. And it was just, it was incredible. And I, I do think, I, I think he's definitely had a big influence on me as a mm. writer and also as someone who, you know, he was someone who, uh, you know, his ultimate foe was the deadline. You know, he was yeah. famously late with everything. And I think it, it was, mm. you know, to, to just to show that his his greatest Doctor Who script is the one time that Graham Williams locked him in a room for a weekend, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. um, which just goes to show that, you know, when he channeled that that genius mm. and that, that use of language and that use of imagination as well, it's, yeah, it, it it's something that I feel... Um, I wouldn't say I, I've, I consciously uh, wanted to use that that style for my Captain Random mm. books, but mm-hmm. I think they've definitely come through. And actually, looking back at the first chapter of the first Captain Random book, I um, 
which is available in all good bookstores. <laughs> Links in the show notes, all the rest of that. Yeah. Um, I definitely was trying to go for a hitchhiker's vibe mm. um, very early on in that first book. And then, then it sort of goes, you know, then I found my style at that point. But the rooting yeah. was very much hitchhikers and Douglas Adams, definitely. And actually, mm-hmm. and to bring it back to Red Dwarf, um, the Red Dwarf novels as well. Yeah. Which are fantastic. I mean, especially the first mm. two are just, oh, they, they are glorious. And they are probably my most reread books. I'd say Infinity Welcomes Careful Drivers and Better Than yeah, Life. Yeah, are... I had that one back in the day. Oh, the mate, out. they are just... Yeah, they are... They are almost sort of... Like I was saying with the Jerry Anderson shows, I felt like I graduated mm-hmm. from Hitchhikers to Red Dwarf, actually, as I grew. Right. Um, because there, there's a, there is a tiny bit more depth there, but I, I think because, obviously, Red Dwarf is such an established TV show... The characters mm. develop so much throughout those novels. Yeah. And it's such an expansion of that world. Whereas I think with Hitchhikers, I think really, I think possibly the most expansive is probably is the radio series. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the Red Dwarf books, they, you know, they, they do so much more with the prose. Yeah, no, I, I love, yeah, love Douglas Adams' work and um, Rob Grant and Doug Naylor as well. Because they, they, cause they did something which... You know, science fiction was, to me, it was fairly stoic back in the day. I mean, there were it was all, you know, very heroic figures mm. as a boy growing up. I remember, you know, obviously you had, like, Captain Kirk with Star Trek and, you know, Jean, yeah. Jean-Luc Picard as well. You know, it was very, very <laughs> serious, almost austere, you know, man. Yeah, um, yeah. And then... But then you've got this all-out comedy that just so happens to be set in space, and it's a real. I mean, the the, the premise for Red Dwarf is the odd couple, but it's the odd couple mm, in space. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it, it so it's it's taking it's taking something, and just making you know making something new out of it, which I really do feel that there's stuff like. Um, Rick and Morty have sort of run with, and of course now mm-hmm. I, I don't know whether this, this is because obviously streaming networks or maybe just uh, breaking down of barriers but obviously they can be a bit more adult than the likes of of uh, red dwarf yeah. and you know douglas adams stuff yeah i mean they're 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 the big hitters for me and obviously i'm i'm, I'm mm. trying to sort of skirt around doctor who because obviously that's um something which i'm sure well let's not beat around that bush any longer <laughs> come on let's <laughs> well yeah it'll, it'll always be the, the the biggest for me i i think i i mm-hmm. don't I cannot underestimate how big the uh, the discovery of Doctor Who was for my for and my. How own did that per- come about? Person. Was that again through your dad or? Uh, yeah, it was actually. I mean, it, it was always it, it it was always sort of hidden in plain sight, really, because I I do recall the Damon's uh, repeat on BBC Two, I think, because I remember thinking mm. Wise Wurzel Gummidge being attacked by Morris dancers, <laughs> which was very odd. Um, well, it wouldn't have been that far out of you know the potential plot line for a words episode. You're right there, but then why is he wearing a cape and looking a lot less? Uh, well, yeah, than I mean he's he obviously smarting himself up a bit. <laughs> he's obviously got the smart head on, hasn't he? Yeah. But um, yeah, and uh, I remember that, and I remember dimensions in time as well. Uh, oh lordy, for my sins. Yeah. But that weekend when I went to see my great-grandmother in the old folks home and 
she had the Radio Times open and it was open to the center page. So I sort mm-hmm. of walked over to it and I saw that inlay that it was called Doctor Who Radio Times pull out uh, Return of the Time Lord with these floating mm-hmm. heads of all these different men and two of them uh, right. and two of them are in black and white floating on mm-hmm. this starscape, you know, the nebula in the background. Mm-hmm. And my dad obviously saw what I was looking at and said, Oh, Doctor Who, yeah, that that's back. That's back in a couple of days. And I said, um I said, Oh, which one's Doctor Who? And he said, All of them. And at that point, for someone with... That picked your interest. Yeah, it was someone with a very hyperactive imagination and someone who, you know, I was, I was already obsessed with space and I wanted to, you know, just, just you know, explore it. If I mm-hmm. wanted to be a spaceman when I was very little. So, you know, um, <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, what do you mean by this? You know, just absolutely. I think that the blue touch paper was lit then. And obviously the TV movie came along and I... I, I, mm. I did enjoy it, but I was more interested in these other seven doctors who were in this in this pullout. Um, yeah, it's amazing to think actually just how engrossed I became just thanks to that pullout. Really, um, yeah. Because how old would you have been at that point? It was just before my seventh birthday. Yeah, literally a week before, because it's the bank holiday weekend at the end of May, and. It was actually, actually, do you know what? Funnily enough, on the day that we're recording this, I think it was mm-hmm. around about this time, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, because um, didn't John Pertwee pass away? He did, yes. Just right before it broadcast, I think. He did, yes, he did, yes, mm. he did. And he was a good entry point into Doctor Who, John Pertwee, because I knew him mm-hmm. from Wurzel Gummidge, and I knew him from... Yeah that funny gotcha on Noel's house party that one time, you know, mm. and I, I knew him from, he used to, he did used to pop up on a few things. I remember he was on, um, oh, what was it? Um, Scylla Black. Surprise, surprise. That was it. Yeah. Oh, right. He yeah. popped up on that, uh, you know, with the TARDIS and in his long cloak mm. and, you know, he, 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 he was, he was, did always seem like he was on television mm. actually back in the day. But um, yeah, so he was, he was a good point in and, um, but I, I just, I remember very quickly latching on to Patrick Troughton, though, and being Mm -hmm. absolutely besotted with this incredibly naughty, uh, you know, twinkly, and yet quite cunning, but always very funny and quite sort of protecting as well, sort of in the same way that I found Roger Moore as Bond to be quite protecting. I found mm-hmm. Troughton to be quite protecting. And he was the spitting... Sort of avuncular figure. Yeah, yeah. And he was and he was the spitting image of my Gramps as well. Oh, wow. Um, so I, I so I sort of held him quite close because he obviously looked, looked like my granddad. Um, mm-hmm. And also the trying to find as much as I could of him... In any form, because obviously when I discovered the missing episodes, I thought, oh my God, you know, I'm never going to be able mm-hmm. to watch anything. So whenever a Troughton video turned up or a Troughton book turned up, it felt like gold dust. You know, it felt yeah. like something you really had to treasure and look after because this was the doctor who'd been, you know, the, the wiping policy had completely decimated what he'd put out. So mm-hmm. it was, uh, yeah, so he was, you know, he, he was the, he was the governor for me. Um, yeah. But I, lo- I, I think I, my first Target novel was the Cybermen. Which oh is yes, the Moonbase, and that. Yep, yep, yep. I instantly latched on to him from that, mm. and also the. Do you remember the um, episode guide by Jean-Marc Lefissier? 
No, but I know that maybe I know the maybe one that you're... wasn't around when you were younger. But that was that was quite a big thing. That was another target book. Mm. So that gave you you know a little synopsis of all the various stories. Yes, and um, yeah. so they had all the the faces of the various doctors superimposed mm. on the on the cover, and you just see their faces, and you're instantly thinking, "Wow, I want to see more or read more stories yeah. involving them," because I want to find out what they were like yeah we we had a similar thing in the late 90s where it was the television companion that sort of did that for Mm -hmm. us by david j howe mark stammers and stephen james Mm -hmm. walker um and that that was very similar and it had an availability checklist in the back and i've i've still got Mm -hmm. it actually i'm I'm, like i said i am a collector so i've I've not really thrown much out over the years but um Mm -hmm. i've still got that and it's still got my my you know, this book belongs to Hayden Gribble, age ten or whatever, oh, and it's blessed. and it's got in the availability checklist. It's got the ones that I've seen are ticked, and mm. I've sort of coloured in the box for you know if I've if I've um, if I've seen it or I've read the target book for it mm-hmm. because the target books were I could buy them for anything from sort of ten to fifty p. I reckon in this mm. shop near where my granddad lived. Um, so that was Going my back pocket to your money. again. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some of us are just born lucky. Oh, no, they, I, I seem to remember them. They weren't stupidly expensive, were they? No, not, no. Not from memory. No, they weren't, especially not secondhand. But don't you agree, though, that most of Patrick Troughton's target books, Chris Achilleos has drawn him as actually quite grumpy on the front cover to most mm. of them. You think of the Cybermen, you think of the Abominable Snowmen, the first two that yeah. pop in my mind, and he looks very sort of stern in them, and that, they completely mm. they completely betray the uh the kind of doctor he was really yeah um for me i suppose he he's that sort of he was a very sort of complicated character wasn't he so he was he was mm. outwardly this very clownish mm. you know buffoonish character but he had that steeliness to him so whether that's yeah coming yeah. through in the the way they've illustrated him maybe i don't know he never felt especially as a child i never felt he had the authority that maybe someone like William Hartnell or John Pertwee or Tom Baker had. He didn't mm. have the authority. He was more he was more willing, and I don't know whether this is because he was more diminutive, but he was more willing to maybe take a, take a step back, let the action mm. play around him, and then come into action. You know, I think of Tomb of the Cybermen in that way when they're down in the ice tombs. Um you know, with the cyber um with the cyber leader, yeah, he would influence things, yeah. but in a much more subtle way, wouldn't he? Yeah, he, he would. wouldn't be going in, you know, yeah. with that sort of bravado that some of the others have. No, um, no, he would do it in a much more subtle and slightly more manipulative way. Yeah, maybe. absolutely, absolutely. But it, it was a very, it was quite a lonely existence being a Doctor Who fan at that age in the nineties, <laughs> because obviously no one, yeah, you know, the internet wasn't readily available to a you know to someone of my age well, at that's that the time because some... being the age i am you know it was everywhere you know mm. all the kids at school were watching it and you know it was a big thing um but yeah i can only imagine what it must have been like for you it was fairly tough i mean i've i've written about it in my book child out of time growing up yes with Doctor Who during the that. wilderness years yep oh yes yeah i remember um sending you it actually <laughs> yeah yeah. saying plug this mark plug this please for god's sake plug this uh, uh you know and i i, I say in that you know it, it was it was a very it was a it was about a three and a half year four year period where mm-hmm. there was nothing else apart from maybe a summer of star wars 
there mm-hmm. really wasn't anything else that really piqued my interest as much as Doctor Who. And then I, I sort of got got to the time where I was going off to secondary school and I discovered Hitchhikers and, you know, I was getting a bit older. And obviously when you go to secondary school as well, you, you know, either consciously or um, unconsciously, you start to sort of conform a bit more you lose a bit of your identity during your teenage years mm-hmm. i think you lose yourself a bit and i was more i moved away from the kind of stuff i loved for yeah. uh, definitely for a, a couple of years before i started to slowly come back to it again um i think a lot of people yeah. go through that yeah i know certainly the age i am when it came to sylvester mccoy era mm. um i found because i was a teenager at that point it was for me it was starting to get a bit cringy because you know it was a bit embarrassing to watch and mm. we'd had all the the issues with the hiatus and stuff before and you know you kind of mm. you're growing up and you're taking interest in in other pursuits and it tends to take a bit of a backseat yeah yeah but but would you agree though looking back now that those Sylvester McCoy stories are the ones that have aged the best i certainly feel i when coming back to them through watching them on dvd all those years later i think you i in the majority of them i have a a whole new appreciation for what they were doing yeah absolutely yeah because we 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 covered the happiness patrol recently on a Mm. on a podcast uh, for diddly dumb and i was saying on that that i absolutely despised the happiness patrol as a kid I did not mm. get it at all. I didn't understand it. I mm-hmm. I didn't really like this doctor that much, and I, I definitely I didn't see much of Colin or Sylvester actually as a as a child. I was very much more into mm. the <clears throat> into the first five Doctors. Um, yeah, but when I came back to them, like you said, when the DVDs started coming out, I realised that there's an element of sophistication. There's an element of storytelling. And whereas sometimes it's still being let down by either bad acting or lack of budget, let's say, mm. um, I th- and I, I I think that element of storytelling, that element of writing, and the fact that they've clearly got a plan there, yeah, which you is, can see the ambition there. Yeah, 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 and they have an ambition with it mm. that makes it so much better. I mean, you you really can you can watch survival. Mm-hmm. And you can watch Rose back to back, and yeah. feel that that's the same show. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and that then that yeah. that's because of the way it was going. And it's, I still think it is a massive pity that they didn't have a fourth year, really, with, with mm. Sylvester McCoy to see where he, you know, where where else they would go. There's some very interesting ideas that you know I know have been yeah. spoken about by a few people, and but that mm-hmm. but it's. Yeah, it's just, it's, they're really good to look back on. I still do have, unfortunately, I do have trouble watching the Colin Baker era. And I, and mm-hmm. it isn't, it isn't his fault. It's not Nicola Bryant's fault. I just think it's the excess of the 80s and it's the excess coming off the 20th anniversary as well. Mm-hmm. Um, where the, the show gets so seeped in its own backstory. The mystery of the Doctor's yeah. gone. It's... Mm-hmm. Um, and the clothes are just utterly... And I'm not just saying Colin Baker's clothes, but everyone's clothes are awful Yeah, around that period. And it really is... Mm. It's, it's just it's just a bad time, I think, um, for the show. But uh, 
But you know, but that that's the good thing about Doctor Who is that you can dip in and out, and you can have again different that's eras it. that you like. Yeah, and others that you don't like so much. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm going to be controversial here, but I've um, what? I'm not really a big fan of David Tennant's. Okay, to tell you the truth, um, because I never really sat well with a Doctor who was egotistical enough to say, "Why has it always got to be me?" When there's an old man, mm-hmm. helpless man, stuck in a mm-hmm. booth, uh, when he's clearly got a very awkward relationship with a 19-year-old girl when he's a 900-year-old alien. <laughs> doesn't quite work. And he's very smug. Um, mm-hmm. He's very... Uh, he spends a whole series basically emotionally traumatizing Martha. Um especially over the fact of you know it's bringing up rose all of the time it it was very i just didn't like that character i didn't like that characterization i mean i don't do love him and uh, Catherine tate together i think they make a really good team yes which is when obviously donna comes along and starts putting him in track Mm -hmm. and slapping him if he's getting out of line and you know gobbing back david tennant's doctor works so well with a brash no nonsense mm-hmm. companion with a younger companion, more naive uh, girl by his side. It just looks either they come across as weak or it's just creepy, I think. <laughs> and the smug levels are turned up to. I, I know why RTD did it. It's because, you know, yeah. obviously he wanted that heartbreak at the end, didn't he? Of setting up for a fall. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Um, but yeah, I, I just like I never really got truly on board with him, and I I was begging for the end of time to end as well when he was going back and seeing all of the companions. Yeah, I don't think you're alone on that one. No. <laughs> yeah, but it's nothing against. Yeah. I mean, I, I I think David Tennant's an incredible actor, and I think he has got some amazing stories in his era too. Yeah, but that wasn't really how I saw the Doctor for me. Mm-hmm. To tell you the truth, but I can understand why you know the the popular view, you know uh, the popular road to go down, and obviously it got the ratings in, and it arguably is cemented yeah, it's so popular, yeah, and it arguably cemented Doctor Who's future. So you know, fantastic mm-hmm. for that, brilliant. But I just, just that characterization or that Doctor even is just quite smug. I mean, you 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 give some of his dialogue to Colin Baker, and he Colin Baker would be slaughtered even more than he normally gets, you know. From, mm certain corners of fandom so um yeah it's uh i mean what, what with, with you I've, i don't think i've ever asked you this actually Mar, but who's your hmm. favorite doctor Ooh, it's a tough one i think tom baker was the doctor when i was growing up and it's for a lot of people it tends to be that first doctor for them and yeah. i think he's he looms so large over the whole show just through being there for so long and you know i'm in a a bit of a minority because i rather enjoy season 17 i know there are uh, other opinions are available on that one but uh, (laughs) i i do i i find it incredibly Mm. entertaining um but because he was in it for so long it's it's a little bit like um another one of your passions pink floyd yeah you've got that sort of it's like having three different eras within one yeah yeah doctor you've got the you know very early stuff um where they're going gothic mm. uh and then you go a bit graham williamsy and it gets a bit more 
amusing and entertaining on a slightly different way. Mm. And then, then you go into the John Nathan Turner stuff at the end where it goes super serious and and very uh, kind of sci-fi. Yeah. Uh, yeah, pushing that element of it. Um, so, yeah, it's. Uh, I think I certainly he would be up there. I think Peter Capaldi uh, is very underrated. Um, mm. I know he perhaps wasn't, you know, in terms of viewing figures, he wasn't the most popular necessarily. But I think he was astounding i think just as an actor and as a, an ambassador for the show yeah. i thought he yeah. was brilliant uh so i certainly put those two up there and you can't leave out patrick trout and i think he was another you know great actor really good character actor and uh of what i've seen he always he's just so watchable you know any scene that he's in you're drawn to him because he he just lights up any scene even if it's just like a minor thing, I think he's really good. So th- those would be my picks at the moment. You ask me tomorrow, I'll probably come up with three totally different choices. That's that's the beauty of being a Doctor Who fan, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you've got this huge back catalogue to go back and enjoy. So you know, if you're perhaps one of those people who didn't take to the last series so much, you know, you can always go back and rather than writing petitions to get it changed or whatever oh, just yeah. you know it's ludicrous that yeah <laughs> actually that that brings us on rather nicely to game of thrones doesn't it because mm, yeah I, go on then. i have to say i'm not not a massive fantasy fan i mean i've, I've never read mm. lord of the rings because i couldn't get past about the third camping sequence in fellowship <laughs> of the ring on, by, by by about page 80 you know it, it was a bit of a slog and i i like i've got the complete book the sort of hard pack version oh, right, and yeah. I read that. I used to read it every Christmas when I was a teenager, but I found the only way I could get through it was to skip all the bits where they break into song. And yeah. uh, that probably informs why I'm not so much of a fan of musicals as well. <laughs> I hadn't thought about yeah, that I'm until with then. you on that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you but on that. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I would read that avidly. So yeah, anyway, back to Game of Thrones. Well, yeah, I mean, apart, so apart from... Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones is the only real sort of fantasy TV series or film that I've ever really got into. Um, mm. And obviously, that there's as we we're recording this, this is what a couple of days after the the last ever episode. Yeah, finale, a yeah. lot of people are very unhappy, aren't they, with what with what mm. the ending was? And I'm not going to spoil it, just in case anyone still hasn't seen it. <laughs> but what I would say is that I find I find, especially when it comes with fans, when it comes with long established shows. Mm. I think whatever your imagination can come up with is never going to be bettered on the screen. So let's say, for example, your ending could have been, oh, yeah, this is how I hope it will end, or this is how I think Mm -hmm. it will end. If it doesn't end like that, then, of course, you're going to think it's rubbish because you built it up in your head to be something completely different. And I find that that's the way... That's that's what's happened with this is that the idea in your head is not the thing that's on the screen and that's mm. why because I don't I don't think anyone saw really what was coming no one could have mm. really picked well it up. I think there's there's another element to it which I think also crosses over into other fandoms as well where I've seen a few people talking about where they read spoilers like nearly a year ago and it played out exactly as they read the spoilers so um, they found that incredibly disappointing so but you know. It's only there if you go out and seek it out. 
I mean, I've, I've, you know, I watch lots of, you know, cult stuff. Um, I mean, Game of Thrones is massive, you know. Um, it, it's something that, you know, everyone, you know, no matter what sort of background they come from, you know, you, you go into your work and sit in the, the canteen and everyone is talking about it, regardless of whether they're into sort of sci-fi or fantasy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think... There is a danger of when you read about how things are going to play out, you imagine how that would manifest on the screen. And if it's not the way you thought it was going to be, then it's you're only disappointing yourself. So I, I really do stick clear of spoilers. I find it... I just don't see the point. Why would you ruin the programme for yourself by seeking that out way in advance? And I know mm. there's quite a few people who do it and they, they're okay with that and that's fine. But I just find it really would ruin the story for me. I would hate that. Well, it's it's the old, you know, it's the old school adage, isn't it? The old school playground of I know something you don't. It's 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 having yeah. leverage. It's having leverage over people. You know, this yeah, it's powers powers a weird thing. <laughs> mm. Mm. But um, but yeah, it, it's yeah. I I wasn't disappointed by it. To, to the truth. No, I thought it played out in a way, you know without wanting to go too spoilery, uh, having just said I don't like spoilers, um, I think the way it ended was logical. When you think of all the stuff that all these characters have been through for the last is it 10 years or whatever it is now, um, and, you know, you, you don't want that to potentially, you know, if you're you know, talking from a perspective of actually being in the programme, mm. you know, you, if you're faced with that choice of things continuing as they are or you do something to change it, I think that made perfect sense to me. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know. I suppose everyone has their own idea of how they think it should pan out, but mm. there you go. But not everyone can be right. No, no, just just me and you, obviously. Exactly, which means people will always be disappointed, <laughs> but luckily it wasn't us. So we're going to go to a commercial break now. When we come back, I'll be asking Hayden for his recommendations. Calling all Spectrum agents. SIG for this great new offer from Kellogg's Sugar Smacks. Free inside every packet, one of these Spectrum badges. Captain Scarlet, Colonel White, Lieutenant Green, Captain Blue, Destiny Angel, and the Spectrum emblem. Collect all six. The first is in this special packet of Sugar Smacks. Those honey-sweet puffs of wheat that give you plenty of energy. Fast. Right, Captain Scarlet? S.I.G. for Kellogg's Sugar Smacks. So, Hayden, uh, it's at this point of the show we like to ask guests uh, for their recommendations of things that uh, our listeners can check out. Have you got mm-hmm. anything that you'd like to, to recommend? Uh, I'd like to recommend, firstly, I'd like to recommend the first Red Dwarf novel. Um, Infinity Welcomes mm-hmm. Careful Drivers. It is, it's an astonishing sci-fi book it's really funny it if you love the characters from the tv series it really develops them out it fleshes them out the characters are three-dimensional and if you can even find this actually if you don't want to read the book you have Mm -hmm. got the full thing on youtube uh, as read by Chris Barry, who of course played. Oh, really? Yeah, who of course played uh, Arnold Rinner, and he does all of the impressions of all the. He plays all the oh, characters, wow. and it is it is 
it's wonderful. It's brilliant. So yeah, it's worth seeking out just for that. Indeed. Yep. So do check that out. And also, uh, mm-hmm. I've mentioned it before, but the Made in Super Mario Nation and this is Super Mario Nation Blu-ray. It was about five quid from the Jerry Anderson store and uh, oh, okay. and Amazon online. And um, it's it's mm-hmm. the documentary about the making of those Super Mario Nation films in Slough. Um, mm-hmm. And also, uh, they have one or two episodes from each series on uh, the other Blu-ray. And uh, okay. yeah, it, it, it'll bring back childhood memories. And if you haven't seen them before and you like a bit of a sort of retro television um action orientated then they'll definitely be up your street and also i just recommend my books as well um well i was going to come to that in a moment <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so well, go on you might as well plug away go on um so uh i've got four books uh which are out and uh, you can buy them from waterstones amazon barnes and noble uh all good bookstores around the world and um, possibly mm-hmm. the most prevalent one here i'd say probably is child out of time uh, growing up yeah. with Doctor Who during the wilderness years. Um, it's got a forward from Andrew Smith, who wrote uh, the Tom Baker story, Full Circle. Uh, the mm-hmm. front cover's got a few little Easter eggs for fans as well, and that was drawn by Paul Mars, who, of course, has written uh, for the BBC Book Range and, of course, Big Finish and the Hornet's Nest um, radio series Tom for Baker, Tom Baker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that that's just a story, basically, about someone who grew up while the show wasn't on trying to find the doctor essentially and um yeah mm-hmm. it had you know it, it's, it's been really well received and uh, it was even got it in doctor who magazine mark which is brilliant that that was a that was a wowzers uh, that was a childhood dream realized so uh yeah yeah i was very happy with that but yeah but uh yeah uh, do check that out and also mm-hmm. captain random uh is a character uh which i sorry that i created a few years ago and his first mm-hmm. Uh, adventure captain random versus the sandman uh, which is a aimed sort of at the target audience i'd say actual target audience Mm -hmm. (laughs) so sort of from (laughs) sort of i'd say six and up and adults would like it as well and Mm -hmm. uh, the main premise is there's a planet called rodas and it's been at war for centuries and the reason why it went to war was because the southern hemisphere was blue the northern hemisphere was red and they went to war because they couldn't make the color purple (laughs) <laughs> sounds perfectly fine to me <laughs> and captain random is born from this planet uh but escapes and ends up on earth where he makes friends with two orphans but he's brought the terrors of Rodas with him and i'll just leave it hanging there so oh my giddy aunt <laughs> <laughs> when i say run run i realized last time i was incredibly rude and i forgot to ask eric about uh, his shows that he's doing uh, his podcasts and things um and he's just started a relatively new podcast uh, called the real mccoy which takes us back to our discussion about sylvester mccoy oh, brilliant. so uh he and a friend are going through the sylvester mccoy stories and uh He's really uh, interesting to listen to. He always has a very interesting take on um, what's going on. Uh, they start off with a, an episode about the Sixth Doctor, which is oh, wow. quite an unusual choice. But when you think about it, it's a very logical choice because you want to see what point the show had got to before they actually start going into how the McCoy era differs from that and uh, what they were trying to do. Uh, so it's called The Real McCoy, and it's on... Apple Podcasts and all the rest of it, as you would expect. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I'll have to listen to that, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's really good. 
yeah, there are a couple of episodes in, so um, yeah, it's worth checking out. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, I, I'm I just before I um, before I go, I, I will have to obviously plug the two podcasts I'm involved in as well. Yes, um, please tell us which ones you're on. Yep, so I'm on the Diddly Dumb podcast. Uh, never heard of it. Never heard of it. Nope. Uh, and the reason <laughs> why at the top of the of the podcast I called. Uh, our esteemed host here, the Human Palindrome, is because that's what we uh, came up with for you, Mark, didn't we? When you uh, were on a few episodes with us, you you have referred to me as that. I think uh, Eric Escamilla from uh, Mostly Harmless might be possibly fighting you for that one. I don't know. But oh anyway. well, we'll well since he's not here, we'll I've been called we'll, worse. We'll, we'll take the credit since he's not here. So yeah, why not? Why not? <laughs> and you also have a James Bond related podcast, don't you? Yes, yes. Now, uh, yeah, the James Bond uh, podcast is called Podcasters Royale, and uh, it's been mm. going for about three years now. Actually, wow. Um, and we've gone back through all twenty four uh, official Eon films. We've held mm-hmm. we've held a few listeners' votes as well. So we've done countdowns on the theme songs the baddies um and it's currently on hiatus um just having a bit of rest from it at the time being due to writing Mm. and my wedding coming up um but when it comes back hopefully later on in the year that we should have a whole new team uh behind it and a lot more to talk about so uh yeah keep your eyes or should i say ears peeled yes (laughs) <laughs> hey, there you go and they're all available on all uh, all your podcatchers excellent mm-hmm. thank you so much for coming on Hayden it's been a real pleasure talking to you again mate the pleasure's been all mine it's been excellent great to talk to you again um, we'll hopefully we'll speak again soon yep hope so 